What makes you you and what gives us a sense of identity is in a state of confusion. We've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks. We've also looked at the fact that there's no compelling vision out there generally in the culture that makes sense of the confusion. And so we've looked at, at, at a life worth following and we've looked at the people who have been forerunners of the faith, the Pauls in our life. But most of this series is, is to raise up in you, is to bring to the surface a concern for the generations that are coming behind. Those that are, that are in this room this morning, those who are, uh, who are in the nursery, those who've left for, for, uh, for children's church, the people that, uh, that are entrusted to us, around us, people on your team where you work, the people that, that are watching your life, the, the, the people that, over whom you have some influence, whether you know it or not. It's to bring to the surface a sense of responsibility, that you're a steward of your life for the sake of other people. How do we pour our lives into the lives of other people? How, how do we help in an age when there's such confusion over identity and no compelling vision? How do we bring some sense of identity and order and direction? You know, you don't, you don't have to be Yoda, right? You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be, uh, you know, majorly old. and You don't have to be wise like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You don't have to have it all figured out. You know, one of the number one reasons why people don't become youth leaders, volunteer youth leaders, the number one excuse, the number one reason is, I'm afraid they're going to ask me something that I don't know. Well, they will, absolutely guaranteed, and that's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out to be an influence in someone else's life. You don't have to have it all figured out. Another reason why people don't... uh, intentionally pour their lives in the lives of other people is they're too busy making their own mark. They're too busy making their own mark on the world. And it's always somewhere around the bend. And it's all about me. It's all about what, what I'm going to do and how I'm going to make a name for myself or how I'm going to bring some kind of change. And I want Credit. I'm working hard. I want credit. I remember the first time I went cross-country skiing, and I I really thought about the idea of making one's mark because none of us knew how to cross-country ski, and we were wearing 50-pound packs on our back, and so we made made our mark on the world for sure. A guy named John Featherston kept saying, "I've, I've planted so many of my faces that I'm afraid to come back here next year and see what's growing. He's made his mark. But see, here's a guy who who was taking his task seriously, but he wasn't taking himself so seriously, right? That, that, that image of, of my friend John Featherston cross-country skiing and making these face plants. He's taking his role very seriously, but he's not taking himself so seriously. That begins to, to reframe your life, to, to think about the idea that, that, that what you're doing and what you're here for, the thing that you may most be here for is for somebody coming behind you. Think of Bill Bright and Billy Graham, who had the same Sunday school teacher. Do you know her name? 
your biggest mark on the world may be through somebody else. Another reason why we don't tend to get involved is we just don't have the time. We just don't, we don't have time to get involved in somebody else's life because it just takes too much time to involve other people in the things that we're doing that are worth doing, right? So you're, you're, you're going about your week and you're doing all kinds of things worth doing and sometimes you're doing it all by yourself when you could invite somebody with you. Sometimes you're doing things around here, around the church, and you're doing them all by yourself, even though you, know, you, you could invite somebody to come alongside you. But it's so much easier just to do it yourself, right? Isn't that right? Now, so there's this continuum between expediency and empowerment. Big words, but let's see. Expedient is like get it done quickly, fast, efficiently, right? It's expedient just to do it, right? Empowerment is messy, I remember when Beth and I uh, dropped our, our, our triplets off at, the, at, at first grade, and you know, within a month, they had this project that was due. And, and, and everybody had to, to do this project, and there was like this you know, piece of, big piece of poster board. It's all about poster board, right, in first grade. So they, some big piece of poster board, and they were supposed to do some kind of project. And then there was this long hallway of all the first grade students' projects, and you could tell... What am I going to tell you? You already know, don't you? You know which kid's mom did their project, right? Because it looks so good. And here you can see our three. They're really standing out because we made them do it themselves, right? It was a mess, you know? I mean, empowering other people is messy, and it takes time. And it's not, you know, sometimes it's not that much fun, but it's worth it. And that's what it takes sometimes to enable and empower, to equip the people coming behind us or the people around us, the people on your team who look up to you and you think you're in competition with them, but they're just waiting for some kind of collaborative word from you, some kind of just a different tone that says, we're in this together and I want to see you succeed as much as myself. How do we do that? What's it look like to equip and empower the next generation, the people around us, the people alongside us? Let's explore that as we look in the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to back up. I'm going to read one verse here that probably won't be on your screen. He says, You then, my child, Paul speaking to his protege, Timothy, be strengthened that's a word for, like, we get our word dynamite from that. Be strengthened. Find strength. Find dynamic power. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You'll see in a minute why he needs it. And what you have heard from me, what you've heard from me, what you've heard and been hearing from me in the presence of many witnesses, that's the word for, we get our word martyr from that word witnesses, You'll hear in a minute just what that's all about. Entrust, entrust also to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, would you bless this word now, not only to our minds that we may think differently, but 
to our lives that we may live differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, All four of our kids are out of town, so I'm going to okay with it because I've got all kinds of fun stories I don't get to tell. Uh, And one of them is this. First birthday, triplets' first birthday, Beth baked a cake for each one of them. This has been her tradition for the last 19, 20 years. So a, a, a cake for each one of them. And first birthday, they're one years old, they're in their high chairs, and they each have this little cake. And we could see, their, we could really tell their personalities from the way they approached their, their task, let's say. David, engineer boy, David, by the time he was done, we couldn't really tell that he had even touched the cake. Like we, we could put that cake away and we could have it later and we, we served it the rest of the week. He, he, just, he was so careful about everything. Caroline was just wanting to offer each one of us a piece. Like, come on and share. Come on, let's do this together. Jameson's cake was no longer a cake at the end. It was everywhere. It was on every cupboard. They come out themselves. Kids come out themselves. I used to think we had some influence, right? You have a little influence. A little. And you have to spend it very wisely. But we come out ourselves. We come into this world ourselves. And and so the first way that we influence, the first way that we begin to understand how do we equip and empower the next generation of leaders. That's what Paul's speaking to, to Timothy. The first way is this. Call out what's already there. Call out what you see. The privilege of speaking. The strengths you see in the lives of people around you. Call out what's already there. We come out ourselves, so recognize it. Name it. You're really good at that. That's amazing. That's a strength. You think it's normal because it comes easy to you, but did you know that not everybody knows how to do that? It's a strength in you. That's what, what Paul is doing for Timothy. He's doing that all day long, and he's doing it over the years. He's a young guy, teenager probably, when they first met. And Paul is recognizing in Timothy a unique strength in him. It's the strength of being full of faith. Timothy had this power in him. It's the spiritual gift of faith. Now, you say, well, I thought faith, everybody had faith. Well, yeah, everybody believes that if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, absolutely. But, but there's also a spiritual gift of faith, and that is just when, when the chips are down to, 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 to be somebody who is strong in the midst of weakness. And Paul took seriously a young person's powerful faith. And he needed to because what was happening at the time in Asia Minor, you think of the boot of, uh, of uh, Italy, and you, you just go right across from there. Uh, you, right across from there, um, 
is Albania and Macedonia and that, that whole area. That, that, that Asia Minor era, area. The church was strong. And then came along the Emperor Nero. And I'm going to tell you this, even though it's very graphic and it's gruesome. But Nero, for his parties, his Roman debauchery, he would take Christians and he would hang them from the trees and light them on fire as torches for his parties. Paul is writing from prison in A.D. 64, around the time when the persecutions began and around the time when Rome burned. And Christians were a convenient scapegoat for the burning of Rome. Nero blamed Christians. And this is when the martyrdom of the next generations of Christians began. And, and, and you could see in the arena, they would dress Christians up as sacrificed animals, and they would send lions out to attack them. And here, Paul is in prison, and he's writing to his protege, and he's recognizing in him a strength. Why? Why does he see it? How does he see it? Because everybody else had fled. So many others had fled. The Roman Empire had turned on, on Christianity, and, and Timothy was holding the line. You know, the closest thing we have to this is in World War II, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer came from a, an affluent family, a family, a, a professor and a physician, and, and, uh, and, and Bonhoeffer was very bright, and he's a world traveler. Bonhoeffer saw, even in New York City, where he studied for a little while at Union uh, Seminary there under, under uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, he he, he was challenged to bring the, the word of God and social justice together. And Bonhoeffer uh, saw the beauty of that, that there's a here and nowness to our faith. And so he spent time in Harlem and he spent time in places where, where people uh, felt the injustice of inequality. And he went back and pastored in Germany under Hitler. And in 1933... After Hitler was elected as the Führer, as the, the leader of Germany, Bonhoeffer, late 20s, early 30s at the time, he called him out on radio. On the radio, he called out his Hitler for what he really was. He saw what he really was. Everyone else was just sort of lining up in rows and Bonhoeffer stood strong. Bonhoeffer did not need hindsight to see what was afoot, that people were mindlessly following evil. He called it out, and they shut the radio broadcast down. Eventually, Bonhoeffer would be imprisoned, and he would die in prison. One of the few pastors in Germany who held the faith, who kept the faith, that's a picture of Timothy. We need to take seriously the faith of young people because what's happening, what we're seeing when you see strong faith in somebody, when you see a dynamic power in a young person's life, that's the spirit of God in that person. 
It's not just that they were born this way or they're wired this way or they just happened to, but, but God has put in them something special, some unique quality, a spiritual gift. You know who, who needs affirmation? A woman named Bev uh, taught me this many, many years ago. Uh, Bev was uh, the best youth director, youth leader I ever had when I was doing youth ministry in Texas. She was in her 60s at the time. I've told you about her before. And she said, you know what? The only thing I have to give is affirmation. That's the only thing that I have to give. And you know what? That's, that's exactly what kids need. That's what all of us need. You know who needs it more than anybody else? The people who you think need it the least. Talented people. <coughs> People who, who you see uh, have a special sparkle to them. Everyone thinks that those people are being affirmed. Everyone thinks that those people are getting an attaboy or a, an elbow or a pat on the back. Don't pass by those people in your life, on your team, in your family. You, you, you think that it's your job to keep them humble? The world will do that. <laughs> Tomorrow will do that. Affirm, affirm. See what's there. See the strength and call it out. Encourage, come alongside. The word for encourage is just simply to come alongside and call out what's there. So that's the first way we equip and empower the people around us on our team and our family coming behind us, the young people that are in our midst this morning and throughout the week. Affirm, see what's there, name it. You're really good at that. It comes easy for you because it's a special skill or a gift. Call it out. The second is, is simply this, it's to call up. We call out what's there, and we call up. What does call up mean? It means calling people to responsibility. Responsibility. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But listen. To be given responsibility is one of the biggest compliments that you can receive. Think of the expediency empowerment thing. If, if someone's going to make a mess of it, and yet... You give them responsibility for it anyway. You're saying something. There's a tacit message, a quiet but powerful message. You can do this. You're capable. Now step up with me. Be a steward of this place. Be a steward of this responsibility. Take on this responsibility. I remember when I was on, you know when you're young and your, your parents call out your full name? That's not a good thing, right? And I remember um, what was worse was having my first full name and my middle name only. That was really bad. Like, okay, Timothy Howard. That's my middle name, Howard. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> Timothy Howard, depending on what time of day, I knew what was going on. I knew that I for had forgotten something or if I had done something I shouldn't have done, I knew that it was discovered. Timothy Howard. You can remember, you're, you're getting shaky, just, you're just getting goosebumps, just thinking about you know, your own experiences like this, right? Because, because we know that when we're called out, we're also being called up. It's to say, 
I believe in you. I'm, I'm, I'm upset with you. The teachers, put it this way, think of it this way. The teachers that were the best for you were not the teachers that you liked at the time, right? Think of it that way. The teachers that expected the most out of you, the teachers that pushed you the hardest were the ones who paid you the ultimate compliment. I'm expecting more out of you. To call people up, to share responsibility, to, to give to them the great compliment that says, what you've heard me say and say and say. It's, there's, a, there's a certain special Greek tense here. And the tense is to say, look, you have been hearing me say this. And now it's time for you to take some responsibility for it yourself for the sake of other people. What you've been hearing me say consistently over the course of our friendship, my leadership in your life, Paul is saying to his protege, what you've been hearing me say, it's time, Timothy. It's your time now. It's time to step up and to take responsibility, to, to begin to do for other people around you what I have been doing for you, seeing the strengths, naming the strengths, and calling people. It's to take that torch and begin to light it, to light the torch of other people around you. It's that moment when, when the night bows and the king places the sword on the shoulder and says, you are now one of us. You see, that's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. It's not to be one of us. It's to say, you be the one of us makers. I just made that up. You be the one of us makers. It's, it's to be the person who calls other people up. It's to be what we call a steward a steward. It's to take responsibility for it. You know, there's a moment in, in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, that when there is a real important turning of the tassel, it's a moment like what we're talking about. It's, it's, when, it's when somebody who has been recovering from alcoholism begins to help someone else. It's to complete the cycle. It's to say, okay, someone has has done for me, has, has, has been understanding, has met me where I am in the depths of my despair, and they have walked alongside me, and they have brought me out of this dry bones valley, and they've taken me up to a new height to see my life reframed, renewed. Now it's time for me to do the same thing for someone else. And until you complete that cycle, until you begin one of those, that, that, you know, to, to be the person who calls other people up, then you're not really a steward of what's been done for you. You're not really owning it. You know, there, there were many years ago um, in, uh, in the PCUSA, there was a moderator that I did not like at all. And the reason is he thought the church was the end-all and be-all of everything. Now, you've you got to follow what I'm saying. The church is the result of what Paul is doing for Timothy. The church 
is the outward sign of inward faith and strength. But there was a moderator in, in, in the denomination where I used to serve, and, and he said, we have to figure out how to get people to like church. I said, people are going to like church? What are you talking about? They need to love Jesus. And then the church will be something powerful and beautiful. Then we'll be stewards of what other people have built and passed on, but only by following him. You see, what, what Paul is saying is, be someone who's calling other people to take that level of, we call it ownership, but it's really stewardship of the faith. You see, what, what happens as a result is the church becomes something great. Something really, really great. Not because we care about the church, but because we care about Christ. And so we're called, each one of us who's called to follow Jesus is called to call. Called to call. Call out what's there in other people's lives. And call people around us up to share in the responsibility of sharing the responsibility. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how, you, how we thank you that you have called us. That we've heard your voice, that uh, you, our great good shepherd, have spoken in a way that we understand and can receive. Father, we thank you for the responsibility that you've placed upon us. You've given us gifts. You've given us passion. You've given us a heart. You've given us abilities. You've given us personality and experiences. Lord, help us to be stewards of our lives and the fullness thereof. That the way we live, the way we live, would call out and call up. In Jesus' name, amen.